0: We are going to start, if you don't know, this whole year we've had a theme, and it's called the Kingdom of Heaven. And we've been looking at um, the book of Matthew, and in the book of Matthew, Jesus said that when he arrived, the Kingdom of Heaven arrived. It's where heaven and earth met. And... I don't know about you but that seemed kind of strange to me because there's not a lot of heavenly things around here that I see and and I always had this vision of like heaven being this place like after you you die you go to heaven you know and there's there's pearly gates and streets of gold and chocolate fountains that's what my son always said that there would be in heaven and um and I don't always see that around here but but Jesus told us that that when we are with him and when he is with us we can actually experience a little bit of the kingdom of heaven even in the midst of the difficulties that we say here or we see here. And so it's worth looking into, and that's what we're doing. We're going through this book of Matthew. We've broken it up into three series. We did um, parables to start with, and then we looked at people that were in the book. And now we're into preaching, looking at some of the sermons and things that Jesus taught. And I don't know if you've read a lot of what Jesus um, preached on, but he was a great teacher. And Jesus told a lot of stories. And I think that's great because stories are relatable. They're interesting. They're a lot more memorable sometimes than like lists of things. And so What we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a really short story, maybe an illustration you might call it, that Jesus used at the end of one of his famous um, sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, to jump into another story, which is not as famous, and that is the story of how I got here. It's a little bit of my journey along the way. Um, You're going to get to to hear a lot about what college Angela was like, and she was something, I ain't lying. Fortunately, God was something a little bit more, and, and that's good because it's, it's got a happy ending, let me just say. Um, but I, I like to do this every few years because I think sometimes you see, oh, well, she's the campus minister, or they're this, and you know I, I couldn't really talk to her. And I, I really feel like if you know me and my story, you will realize when I say I will not judge you, if we talk about anything, I will not judge you if we talk about anything, that I can relate to a lot of things that I am here solely by the grace of God. Um, and I, I do believe that my story, I say it's my story, is really God's story, that I, this is just a part that, that I had in it, and we get to see him work. Um, so I'm, a, I'm excited about it. Um, not going to lie, today has been kind of a hard day for me. A lot of my story deals with college, and some of it deals with some trauma in college. So I appreciate your prayers for me, and I'm going to start us off by praying right now. So let's pray. God, the way the circumstances worked, I have no doubt that I'm supposed to be up here teaching tonight and I'm supposed to be sharing this this story, which is your story and my part in it. So um, I pray that you would just be here with me, help me to speak clearly, help me to stay on track, Um, help me to really show you and your hand in my life. And God, I pray that the story of you just resonates in each person here, that they see you for who you are they see how much you love them and they they want to reach out to you I pray that this is this brings you glory um and puts a focus on you I pray for all of us um just to get what you want us to get out of this and so um thank you for all that you do thank you for each person here that you know where they are we're all in different places um but you are there and you're able to meet us wherever we are so God we we just pray that you do with tonight what you want to do with tonight in Jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're starting with the story, which is how Jesus kind of ended the, the famous Sermon on the Mount, kind of his biggest piece of preaching that we have. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Donnie started talking about it last week. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Basically, Jesus is laying out all of this powerful teaching about how if you really want to follow him, if you really want to know him, this is what you do. This is how you live, right? And so he ends it with this this little story or illustration um, that, that wraps everything up in a really kind of powerful and convicting way for a lot of us. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine that he's just spent all this time talking about and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now there's a lot in that short little story. But one of the things that is just immediately evident is that it's not a matter of if storms are gonna come in our lives here. It's a matter of, of when. Jesus is very clear that while we are here on earth, we are going to face storms. We are going to face troubles. In fact, in the book of John, he's even more clear because in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You cannot get any clearer than that. He is not mincing words, right? This world is not easy. I mean, we know that just from today and last night. And I, I know that all of you have experienced this world is hard. There is loss, there's is, there is fear, there's violence, there's death, there's sickness. There are, there are a lot of difficult storms that, that we face, storms we bring on ourselves and storms that are brought on us that, that we had nothing to do. It, it can be really hard. But the good thing that I like about that verse is that Jesus doesn't leave us hanging with that. Jesus finishes that verse with this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The good news that Jesus is saying in both of these passages is that if the foundation of our life is God, you know, our life, our house, our metaphorical house of our life is built on God on the rock, then we will stand the test of storms. We will be able to not just weather them but overcome them, overcome the difficulties in this world. He knows the storms are coming, and he's like, I'm going to tell you how to get through them. Right? And it's building our house on the rock. And this idea of doing this is all throughout scriptures. I mean, we see it in the Old Testament. King David, David who, who slayed Goliath and who had Saul chasing him down, trying to kill him in all these trials, he says, truly, God is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. And this is a promise for everybody who follows God, that if we are willing to build our life, on the rock, on God, on on believing and following his teachings, that's what Jesus said, then we're going to stand. And so my question to you at this critical time of life, and I do believe college is just one of the most critical times of life, is where are you building your house? And since you're in college right now, of course I'm not talking about a physical house because you're all dirt poor and you're living in like two-room <laughs> apartments with four people crammed in there and dorms with you know uh, bunk beds and all of that, but I'm talking about the metaphorical house of your life, your, your worth, your identity, your values, what you're, what you're seeking, what you're going after. What are you running for in your life? What is the foundation on which you are building your life? Is it something strong? Is it like a rock that's gonna hold you up when the troubles of life come and they will come? Or is it something temporary and not stable? Something that often the world tells us, this is what you need, this is what's gonna make you happy, this is what's gonna, what's gonna fulfill you but it's sand, and when the storms come, it won't last, and you know, we can build a house in in the physical world in a lot of different places, but in the spiritual world, Jesus says, there's two options. It's, It's the rock, or it's the sand. It's wisdom, or it's foolishness. He makes it very clear, and what I want to talk to you about tonight is the fact that I have lived in houses built on both foundations. I have built on the sand and suffered the consequences, and I've built on the rock. And my hope tonight is that by sharing some of my story, and my journey, and my experiences, that it can help you think. And it can help you, hopefully, avoid some of the mistakes I made. Hopefully, figure out how and where to build your life. Because I really believe college is the time when we start doing this. It's the first time we're, we're out of school or out of our house on our own. We're trying to think about what do I want my life to look like? What's my worldview going to be? How am I going to live my life? What is important to me? What am I going to chase after? It's a critical, critical time of life. And it's it's really important. And college was the main part of my journey um, that got me to where I am. So it's definitely where I want to focus. Um, I am going to start with just a little bit of, of young Angela, so you can get an idea of who I was in college. Um, strange person. Um, but, uh, but I do want to say in advance that um, you know there, there's some tough stuff in my story. Um, and I, and I just want to give you the, the trigger warning that if something is difficult for you and you need to step out, please step out. And if you need to talk to somebody or pray to somebody, pray with somebody, we have, during the second set of worship, we will have people out there praying. There are people out there now who I'm sure would be glad to pray with you. And I'm happy to talk to you about any of this at any point. So, so is the staff. Okay, so let's jump in. I was born in New Orleans. We just had this talk. Um, Louisiana, baby, I loved it. What a great city, good food, good culture. Mardi Gras, right? We had Mardi Gras vacation, it was awesome. I really loved growing up there. I have one brother, he's 13 months younger than me. My mother said she couldn't lose weight um, after giving birth to me and went back to the doctor and he said, that's because you're pregnant. So um, it was really like having a twin. We did everything together. I remember no time without my brother and we're super close, we always have been. My family um, was Christian in name, but we didn't really go to church much. We um, never talked about God at home, but as my dad would say, well, we're not Muslim and we're not Buddhist, so clearly we were Christian. <laughs> um, and, and that's just the way it was, you know? My parents, um, they did their best. They tried to make a really good life for my brother and I, um, despite having a very rocky marriage. We were always taken care of very well materially, and, and we really always felt like we were loved. But my dad was often away for work, and um, and sometimes he was away because he had left us. And so he always came back, but as you can imagine, when he did come back, it was very tense, and and it was um, often a strained time at home. Um, So perhaps due to my home life, or perhaps due to the prevailing um, parenting advice of the time, which was hands-off parenting, if they make it good, and if they don't, oh well, thanks Dr. Spock, Um, it was like the opposite of helicopter parenting, or maybe it was just because of my personality, but I was an incredibly independent and closed off person from the time I was young. I was pretty much on my own. I was friendly. I always had friends. But I I never got emotionally close to anybody, not even anybody in my family. I, just, um, I didn't talk to people very much about anything real. I didn't open up. Um, and it never bothered me because, honestly, I thought everybody was like that. <laughs> I didn't know that I was missing out on anything. It was just the way I was, um, besides when I saw people talk for real or or feelings expressed, it was never good at home. And so I thought, avoid that as, you know, we were taught from a young age that if you had any kind of emotion, what you did was you took it and you put it in a ball and you shoved it way down and, um, and you just waited till it passed and you just keep going, you know, and it's interesting because some of my family still does that and um, it's super healthy. (laughs) Um... Anyway, so instead of, of working on um, emotional maturity or having close relationships or spiritual development, I focused all my energy on overachieving and winning at everything I did because success in my family was the gold standard. It was the prize. It was what got you the attention. It was, um It was what everybody went for. And since you know, I was I was moderately intelligent and I was very athletic and I was ridiculously competitive, it worked perfectly for me, right? So I could just jump right in to everything. I I was excelling in, in academics and I was excelling in sports, but it quickly became evident that sports were my passion. I mean I, I was a naturally good athlete and I loved them. I mean, I loved sports and so I started doing every sport. I had I also had the energy of like 10 normal humans. And so I did literally every sport that was offered to to girls in school and in the park and it was just great, because I could, I could use my energy in a productive way. People weren't getting mad at me for all my energy. You know. I could use my anger, which was one of the two emotions that I experienced at that time, anger and happiness. And I could use it in productive ways. I could, I could succeed, and, and I felt good about that. And I soon started really finding my worth in sports. And of all the sports that I played, and there were many, um, the one that I loved the most makes the most sense, because at five four, 100 pounds, you know, Basketball obviously was my calling. It was where I was meant to be, and I just—I can't even tell you. I just loved basketball. I mean, it was just—it oh, was where I wanted to be. It was where I went when I was upset. It was where I went when I was happy. It was what I did with my friends. It's what I did at school, and so I started getting really good um, at basketball. Um, now, when in high school, it was—it was not a great time for me. In order to to kind of give themselves a fresh start, my parents thought it would be a great idea to move us all to Georgia. Um, So right before my freshman year, that's what they did. And as any card-carrying teenager would do, I then determined I would never be happy again ever, and I was determined to stick with that. I mean, I worked hard at it. And worst of all for us, um, well, maybe not worst of all in the grand scheme of things, but in the moment, what seemed the worst was that my parents were very into private schools, because in New Orleans, the public schools were not great, and so they wanted us to go to a private school, and the closest one was a Christian private school. Ooh, um, they told us, look, you don't have to believe what they say, you don't have to do anything, but it's got great academics and athletics, and you're going. Right, and it did. It had great academics and athletics, and that was good. And what it also had was a lot of times reading the Bible and honestly, a lot of rules. It was very strict, which my family was not. And I was what you might call a free spirit or a wild child. Some people might say rebellious, but my mother never did. She always said, "You're a free spirit." Um, it didn't. It didn't really work well with me. It was. It was difficult in a lot of ways. Um, I basically took from it that that Christianity was this big set of rules and do's and don'ts that were kind of intended to squelch all the joy out of life. And um, I begged my parents to let me transfer, and they are like, no. And then I almost got myself transferred by getting caught drinking, which was like an automatic expulsion. But I lied my way out of it, and so we were good. (laughs) Made it through high school. Had a very successful career. I ended up, to my surprise, being valedictorian. I had no idea. And was really good, it, so good in basketball that I got to, um, oh, that's that's my college, that I got a scholarship to play basketball at a small college in South Carolina called Converse College. and. Um, Man, at that time I was not ready to give up basketball. You know, I, of course I had these, these dreams of D1 ball, but I was, uh, my, the reality was it would be maybe me sitting on the bench or being the water girl. So I was like, I go to this small school and I can play basketball, which is what I wanna do. So I was like, awesome. Yeah, so that's me, my proud picture in my, my uniform. Ah, college, y'all, I can't even, to say I loved college was an understatement. Here I was, away from home, away from the stress and the tension there, not at a Christian place, and I was finally free. I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, wherever I wanted, and I took advantage of it. I had so much fun. I never felt homesick, because honestly, getting away from home was great. Plus, I'm super extroverted, and there were people everywhere. I lived in a dorm. I decided I will always live in a dorm. I just loved it so much. People were there all the time. It was just... The best thing, my, my I was living my best life, man. I, my energy levels were off the charts. I don't know how people put up with me. Went to a lot of parties. These are a lot of my friends. That the person in the black, that's my was one of my roommates. Her name was Angie. That's my friend Julie. Deidre. Several of them I played basketball with. But I mean. Parties all the time. It was great. Um, You'd think that because of playing basketball, I would have like eased into the party scene. But you see, that's where you would be wrong. Uh, New, I always found the energy, despite constant practices and workouts and everything, to go out all the time. And I felt like, and was told I was the life of the party, which you know, another success. Because if you're not just at parties, but you're the life of the party, check. That's that's a win. Um, And so. There I am at college, I, I was getting wild, I was playing basketball, I was going to classes, I was doing well because classes always came easy and, um, and it was great. I got, as, as one with this my own proclivities does, um, I got wilder and wilder as, as we got into the school with everything you would associate with that. I'm not gonna go into a lot of details, but you know, blackout drunk, recreational gr- drugs, tons of partying boys, the works, okay? Just whatever your imagination says, it's probably right. Um, even after almost getting thrown off the basketball team, which was a big wake-up call for drinking and smoking, I just got smarter because high school had taught me that, right? So um, got to where that, that didn't have to be a problem anymore. But it was really, college was like a basketball camp with a lot of parties and a lot of friends, and it was like, to me, it was paradise. I was living my best life. and. I, despite all that I was doing, I managed to be on the Dean's List, I managed, I had a great freshman basketball season. I was on the freshman All-American team, I made the district All-Star team, I was MVP, I was like, I was killing it and on, the, on the court there. It was great. And even from a distance, my family life was good because I never saw them. My mother, my mother insisted I call home at least once every two to three weeks. You know, there were no cell phones, so she couldn't get me on the phone. I'm like, there was no answer machines either. And I was like, oh, you're so demanding, but okay. Um, so everything was going great. Everything was going great by all standards of the world I was winning. You know, I was, I was checking all the boxes. The only problem was is that if I ever slowed down, I would start to feel like, Something something was missing. With every success, with every accolade, I, I would feel like, oh, it's just, it, it's not enough. It's like, I just need a little bit more. I just need one more win, a little bit more of this, or something. Nothing would really completely satisfy and fill me, and I didn't understand it, because it should. Everything I had seen, according to the world, I should be the happiest person ever. Things seemed just out of my reach, and it was hard to understand, and so, What I did was just try not to slow down and think about it. I just like balled that up, stuck it back down there, and just kept doing what I was doing. Because when I was going, I was having fun. But I was soon about to realize that building my life on this foundation was not so good. The end of my freshman year is where things started kind of going downhill. um, My father left home, this time for good. Which should not have been a surprise, but it was still—it was really hard. It was hard to deal with, and so I didn't deal with it. But then that summer, I went home, and I had to deal with it because I had my mother there, who was completely falling apart, and I had no recourses, I didn't know anything. I wasn't—you know—I wasn't in touch with emotions. I, w- I didn't have any of that kind of maturity. I didn't have any tools to help her, and so I just saw the person I love just falling apart, and. So I stayed out. I worked a 40-hour week in Atlanta and commuted, worked out every day. I played basketball whenever I could, and I partied. See, I still made time for everything. But it was tough. It was a tough summer, and I just couldn't wait to get back to school, because I knew then everything would be better. And I did. I made it back to school, and at first I was right. I was back in the dorm. I had all the people. I had basketball again. I had gotten really close to my teammates. We were, we were. It was just. It was my best life again. I was away from everything, able to put stuff out of my mind. And then... October happened. Do any of y'all have a month that you hate? I hate October. Yeah, just about everybody's got that month, right? So October was the month that my my parents officially got the divorce. It it went through. But worse than that, it was the month that we started our preseason basketball game, or we had a preseason basketball game, and I blew out my knee. And I mean, I blew it out pretty bad. And I was I remember being in the in the ambulance. They they just sent me away by myself because that's what we did back then, you know. Um, and I'm go I go to this little podunk hospital in North Carolina, and it it's crazy. Both my parents have moved, and you know, we have no cell phones. And they're like, What's their phone number? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> What's their address? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's your coach's number? Yeah, I don't know. They're like, She's delirious. But I wasn't delirious. I just I didn't know what was going on, but as, as painful as it was, the thing that was really killing me was like, no basketball. What am I going to do with no basketball? That's where my whole identity is. And wow, oh, it was just, it was awful. And this is the first time, these two things, my, my parents divorced and then hurting my knee, and not just hurting my knee, but losing basketball. That was like the first things that really kind of sent me reeling. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to deal with that. My, I had had a grandfather die when I was in high school. but that, And that was hard. But, but this, this was really tough. And I really think I probably would have gone off the deep end if I hadn't had um, had not made such a good friend and, and my workout partner and basketball teammate, Julie. She and I had gotten really close working out. And I had never been close to somebody. But Julie was amazing. And she started talking to me and started getting me to talk about my feelings, even the bad things. And I was like, what is happening? And what was happening was that I was starting to heal some. And I was starting to realize that talking about things helps and this is somebody who cares and is able to listen and willing to listen and Julie and I just got super close she was um she became like my what do you call it the kids call it today my ride or die um my you know my 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 person um we hung out all the time we became inseparable and it was just it was amazing and I learned that there's some some value in being vulnerable and having people in your life that you you don't just see but you actually share life with and open up with. So it was amazing. Um, at this point, I would say I didn't have any relationship with God. I would say that I still believed in God, but I, I didn't really have any relationship. I still saw God and Christianity as just a bunch of rules and I didn't want anything to slow me down or, or you know, stop my, my fun life. Um, but what I didn't realize is that all this time my life is getting shakier and shakier. So I go home for Thanksgiving break, um, that, that Thanksgiving, and the first day of break, my dad calls me and he says, hey, I met someone, I'm moving to Florida tomorrow and I'm getting married in a month, you can come. And I was like, okay. That, that conversation really rocked me, but Julie was there and I was able to talk about it. My mom, not able to talk about it, not able to do it. But she stood beside me when everything got tough. And when summer came that year, I knew one thing I was not going home. There was no way. And so Julie and I came to actually Athens, my school was in South Carolina. And we got an apartment with one of my other friends who was going to UGA. And it was the best summer ever. We had so much fun. We ended up getting jobs at the same place, Western Steer. And um, we would have so much fun when we were working together that the manager would have to separate us and make us come on different shifts because we would end up laughing so hysterically that the whole restaurant was like, What is going on back there? We were in the salad bar section. Um, <laughs> And we, and we went to the pool, and we worked some basketball camps, and we played basketball, and oh my gosh, we just had so much fun. It was a big summer of fun and healing and just exactly what I needed. Okay, so fast forward to my junior year, another new year, and my knee is better, right? I'd gotten to play a little bit at the, the end of my sophomore year, but I, I just wasn't up to speed. But now I've been working out all summer, man. I was ready to go last season, hadn't been good, but here we go. October 20th, preseason basketball game. Again, October On the way home that night from our game, our bus started having some troubles and so we stopped at a um, truck stop and they're like, yeah, we can't help you go down to the next exit. Only we didn't make it to the next exit. Our bus broke down on the side of the road and within minutes, an 18-wheeler hit us at 70 miles per hour. Destroyed the bus, destroyed our team. We were down on the ground. I remember everything going dark. I remember not being able to figure out where I was and then I passed out and I remember waking up in a field and not knowing what was going on. And I look this way and I see a huge 18-wheeler on the ground. I look this way I see the shell of what was our bus and bodies everywhere. I see somebody's up at the road trying to flag down somebody to help us. And so I, I get up and I, I see that my shoes have been knocked off and I'm, I'm covered in blood and I think, where's Julie? So I've got to go find Julie. So I'm walking across the stickers and the, the broken glass and I'm asking people like, where? Where's Julie? Has anybody seen her? Somebody says, I think I saw her at the back, towards the back of the bus. So I go back there, and I, I see her feet. And she's, she's underneath some of the parts of the bus. So I take it off, and she's, she's lying there. And, and I'm, I'm afraid to move her, but I'm talking to her. And I'm, I've got my hands on her. I'm like, it's OK. They're getting help. Help is coming. But unfortunately, help didn't come in time, and, and Julie died. And I, to say that I was inconsolable is very much an understatement. I had to be sedated. Um, a bunch of us were at the hospital. It's, it's truly amazing to think that only four people died when you see the, the wreckage of what happened. Um, but Julie and another of our teammates, Debbie, died. Um, Johnny, who was our little security guard who went to all of our away games, he died. Um, several people were in critical condition for, for weeks, some for months, um, some of permanent damage and injuries. And in the small Converse community, I mean, our, our school was probably about 1,500 people. It rocked our whole community. I mean, it was it was really tough. In fact, years later, they put a um, they named some roads after Julie Hamilton and Debbie Powers, and so that's still at Converse. Um, it's it was a big thing, and so the days and weeks that followed that were just blurs of hospitals and funerals and um, just depression and pain. Um, and I had thought the other storms had been bad, but there were nothing like this. And And now, I I didn't have the one thing that was kind of stabilizing me and helping me through this. Julie was gone. And this storm, I'm telling you, this storm washed me away. I mean, it washed the house away. All the things that I had built on, my my family had split up and and wasn't there. Um, You know, basketball was done. Our team, we didn't have enough people to put together a team. My best friend had died, and I was completely alone and lost. Um, emotionally, physically I got better after, you know, I had some, I had some injuries, but I got better in a, in a reasonable time, but emotionally uh, my condition was pretty much beyond repair. Um, my lack of a solid foundation and shallow faith really transferred into bitterness and atheism. I just went full on into that and, and just numbing myself with substances. I was miserable. I was, I was out of control. Once I healed enough to go back to school, I was like the shell of a person who just went through the motions. Um, I felt alone and hopeless and like I was drowning all the time. I made poor decisions. I got in a lot of trouble, and I just didn't care. So I made it through that year, um, which is like a black hole year, but I wasn't the same. And, and by my senior year, I just told myself, come on, just, just keep going. You just got to keep going. Um, but it was getting harder to do that. On the surface from the outside, I imagine I I still looked pretty together. You know, I again academics came easily. I still had good grades. I was still on the honor roll. Um, some of my sense of humor had come back. I'd, I was going to parties. I was, you know, on the outside still looking okay. But on the inside, man, I was just, I was, I was no longer there. And I sank into a really, really deep despair and emptiness until one day I just couldn't get out of bed. And I I remember lying there thinking, "What is the point? You know, all the things that are supposed to make me have worth and happiness in this world. All the I've been successful at all those things. You know, I've had tons of friends. I still have tons of friends. I I had a boyfriend at the time. I had good grades. I, you know, I had all of these things. I had towards the end of my senior year, I had gotten into UGA and Emory Law School. I'd gotten into multiple grad schools. I had a lot of options ahead of me." and I was like, what is the point? You know, get a good get a good job and make a lot of money. Well, my parents had a lot of money. That sure didn't make them happy. And I just I just didn't know what to do. I I I don't know if you read the um the GoFundMe for Wyatt that was um posted in our in our group me, but there was a lot of similarities that I that I saw there. And I think it's really important for us to know that sometimes on the outside. People can look fine, and maybe it's some of you that look fine on the outside, but on the inside, you're not. And I just want to tell you, if you're not, talk to somebody, get get help. It, you are worth it. Um, you need to do that. Um, but yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't decide what I if I wanted to do anything if I wanted to keep going. And i I've, I've never been that low, and I know some of you have, and I'm so sorry. It's a terrible place to be. And, and so again, some of you might be there right now and if that's you please talk to somebody because you are valuable and you are you're worthwhile but for me at my lowest point um, that's when God broke through because one night out of sheer desperation I broke down and I prayed um, for the first time in years maybe the first time ever a genuine prayer from my heart and I said what I later considered to be my prayer of salvation and it wasn't wasn't pretty it went something like this it's God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, I need you. I've screwed up, and I need help. And that was it. Um, Not exactly a great prayer of faith, not the perfect words, but I truly believe with all my heart that God heard that cry for help. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe that's what happened to me. There was no big voice from heaven, no lightning bolt, no angel choir, but... I actually slept that night, and I really didn't sleep after the accident, and that was something that got my attention, it got my attention enough to say, hmm, maybe I'll try to find a Bible, and so I started trying to find a Bible, and when I did, I found these devotional books that were stashed in a drawer. You see, Julie was a Christian. We had talked about that. We had differing views, but it didn't matter. But Julie's mom was like a super Christian, right? Super devout. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so lame. But, um, but that changed. And so after the accident, after her daughter died, the first thing she did was call me to see if I was okay and to tell me she loved me and that she was here for me. And I just remember thinking, how... Could she be asking about me at this time when I was so bitter and and so grieving? But she didn't stop there. She started sending me all these like Christian devotional books, and I, because they were her from her, I couldn't throw them away, so I just stuck them in a drawer somewhere, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So I find these things, and I and I was like, well, you know, I I might as well I might as well look through this, and um, and it was good. To my surprise, it kind of it kind of spoke to me, and I. I found a Bible and I opened it up, and I tell you, I w- I could have sworn someone had changed the inside from when I'd read it in high school. It seemed I started reading about Jesus, and he seemed so cool, and everything in there seemed to speak directly to me. And I was reading it, and I I couldn't believe it. So I've, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm I'm starting to get stuff out of it. And I want I go to church because I want to learn more about God. And I've got Gene Hamilton praying for me and sending me birthday cakes and cards all the time, and um. I truly believe that her her prayer and her love for me was one of the big things that that helped change my life um, But I realized that as I reached out to God, God reached out to me and I, I can't explain it it wasn't overnight. Um, it wasn't a quick thing but slowly those holes in my life started getting filled filled and for the first time in my life, and I can honestly say that, I felt peace and I felt contentment and I felt joy and there was no other way to explain it than it was this relationship with God that I was developing and that I was building. So of course I, I kept pursuing it and the way I pursued it is God never said change everything and come to me and I believe if he had I never would have because I was still pretty in, entrenched in my, in my habits um, let's say but what he said was come to me and I'll change everything. And that's exactly what happened. I just came as I was. And as I started seeking God, I saw him start to change me. And people started to notice, and and some people liked it, and some people didn't. You know, when the people I went out with, they got really upset when I didn't go out with them anymore. You know, that was, it was noticeable. But I didn't care, because for the first time in my life, I was finding what I was looking for. I think what we're all looking for. After college, I ended up choosing to go to grad school here at UGA, because they are for me the best option. And I thought, got to find a ministry. Can't trust me at all. All I knew in Athens were bars. I'd been to all of them. And I was like, <laughs> I know where I'll be. Um, and, so, and so I found CCF. I was jogging by. They were doing a work day out there. And I was like, eh, that's a Christian ministry. And all right, I'll go. And um, Tim Hudson, the campus minister there, took me under his wing. He discipled me. He mentored me. He ended up baptizing me. Um, the end of that, that year, I went to Thailand for three months on a mission trip, and I realized I want to do ministry. This is what I want to do. I want to be all in. I came back. I had to finish and get my master's degree, which was like torture, but I did it. I got a master's degree in political science, and I signed up for a one-year internship here at CCF. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> and since that time, my life has been perfect, the end. In- no. Um- <laughs> No, I wish, I wish I could say, you know, that, that from that time on, man, no, sin was never an issue. I was great. That, that's not true. Y'all, I am so imperfect. I truly live by the grace of God and his forgiveness. And, I mean, the wild child in me has been difficult to tame. I will, not, um, I will not lie. And that's why I can have so much grace for anything that you've gone through. Because the grace of God means that you get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a 50th chance right? God never runs out of forgiveness. He never runs out of patience. He never runs out of love for you, no matter what we have done. That is who our God is, and I am living proof of that. Nothing you can do would cause him to leave you or reject you. The only thing we can do is push him away ourselves. He is always there, and so even though, you know, sin, it sucks. It it brings some trials and some storms on my life. My house now is built on a rock, and it can stand those, those storms. And I'd love to say, too, that, that since becoming a Christian, everything's been great. I've had no more storms. But sadly, that is not reality either. Jesus never said it was going to be. You know, I've had a lot of storms since following God, since building that house on the rock. But let me tell you the difference between having that house built on the sand and having storms in the house built on the rock. It's night and day. About, about 10 years after I started here, I had a cough that, didn't go, that wouldn't go away. So I went, went to the doctor, um, had an x-ray, and I had a huge tumor in my chest. It was pushing on my lungs. It was in my spinal column, and it was about two millimeters away from my aorta. It's called a schwannoma. It was going to be a huge surgery with a massive like 13-week recovery time. And I was like scared and pissed and upset. But you know what, I had a Christian community around me. They prayed with me, they supported me, and I got through it. It was a big storm and I got through it. A year after that, I I married Gary, the love of my life. Um, We've been married almost 22 years now. Second best decision next to following Jesus that I've ever had, he is awesome. Met him here at CCF, and he was in grad school from New York. Um, you know, I'm up from New Orleans. It's just we met in the middle. It's so cool. Um, but I didn't get married till late. I, I got married at 34, so all of you who are 23 and like, I'm never going to find somebody. You know, hang in there. <laughs> I can talk to you, all right, about, about some singleness. Um, but because we were older, we decided not to wait to try to have kids. And so um, we, got, we got pregnant about a year after we got married, and it was exciting, and scary, and wonderful. And then at 11 weeks, we went in for an ultrasound, and, and I saw my little baby not moving. And we had our first miscarriage, and it was horrible. And it, was, and it hurt, and it was painful, and we cried. And I remember one of my friends say, asking me, are you OK? And I remember saying and believing with all my heart, not right now, but I know I will be. And I knew I would be, because my house was built on the rock, and God was with me, and I was. And a, a few months after that, we had a second miscarriage, and then we worried, will we ever be able to carry a baby to term? And that got scary, and we had a lot of conversations with God. But I knew we were going to get through it, and we did, because my house is built on God, and he is unfailing. He helps us through the storms of life. Eventually, Gary and I were blessed with the two biggest joys in my life. This is my family now. Um, Gary's the one with the beard. Um, LAUGHTER Abby and Dylan are my kids, and it, being a mother is the most amazing thing that I've, I never wanted to be a mother, I never wanted to get married, I think, because of my family life and everything, but it has the, been the best adventure of my life, I love it, being, being their parent is just such a joy, um, there's been a lot more joys, we have a great house, we've had a lot of great trips, I've got a great job here, I love working with you people, I love my coworkers. I love my friends, I just, I've had so many blessings, and I've had so many trials. In the last 5 years, I've had 7 family members die. The latest of which was my father in October, of course October. And it's been hard and there's been a lot of storms. I'm going through a storm right now. It's it's tough. But you know what? I might not be okay right now, but I know I will be. Because I know my house is built on the rock. And I know I'm going <laughs> to Thank you Natasha. I know I'm going to get through all these storms not because I'm super strong or have super great faith. But because God is super strong, and God loves me, and he never fails. And the thing is, he loves you too, and he won't fail you. And and your step, according to Jesus, to make that happen is to decide to believe and follow, practice his teachings, and build your house on the rock. And it doesn't mean that storms aren't going to come. It just means that when they do, you're going to stand, and you're going to be able to withstand them. Jesus told us that there's, there's two places to build our house, the sand or the rock. That's the only two choices. And one of them is wise and one of them is foolish. And so I want to ask you right now to ask yourself, where am I building my house? Is it the rock or is it the sand? Because those are the options. And I want to encourage you to, to really think about that. And if you don't know what that means or how to do that or where to get started, please talk to us. Okay, please talk to, to me or any of our staff or, you know, our backbones. We, anybody in this community, we want to be here for you guys. Um, life is tough. There's no doubt about it. There, there are storms. But I, I have zero regrets from the time I started following Jesus over 30 years ago. I'm not saying it's been easy, but... God has never failed me, and I know he won't. I love that song. You know, the songs were picked for Donnie's talk, but our God's not dead. He's, he's really alive. You know, it's, it's amazing, and he's going to stand for eternity. Um, so I don't think it's an accident that you're here, or if you're watching this, that you're watching this. I think it's God wanting to, to tell you, build your house on him. And I know a lot of you are doing that, and that's great. And just know, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. It's hard sometimes, but it's worth it. And God is for you, and we are for you, and you are loved. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you, and we do too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done in my life. I just, I cannot thank you enough. I don't deserve it. I certainly did not earn it. And I, I never could, but you you truly brought me up from the pit. And Lord, I know that there's a lot of hurt in this room. I know there's a lot of storms that people are going through. And I know that you are bigger and stronger than those, whatever we're against. And I pray that anyone here who needs to know that would go get prayer out in the lobby, would talk to one of us afterwards, would know that they are not alone. They don't have to go through this alone, that you are for them and we will help them. So God, thank you for, for all that you've done um, and all that you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.